Amen. How are you all? That's too low, Mark. I'm just, there we go. <laughs> I, I know that many of you noticed that I was sitting while you were standing, and, and that's all right, because I want you to notice that you're sitting while I'm standing, and, and it's a fair trade. Um, those who know me well know that uh, um, my back has finally caught up with me. And um, back when I was 18, they, uh, they kicked me out of the drafts because they said I had a spinal bifida. I said, what's that? They said, you'll know. And I refused to believe that's it, but, you know, he said, you'll know. Um, my doctor says that it's um, um, my tailbone here, arthritis has hit me, and, and uh, that's all right. That's what he says. I told my precious wife, who's sitting out there, um, that this is basically really 40-plus uh, years of football, basketball, baseball, softball, bowling, golf, and everything else that can screw up my back. Um, that's what we're dealing with, but you know, it's caught up with me, and people say, well, you should have slowed down. Nope, don't want to. And I wouldn't change the thing that I've done in my life. Um, but there are times it just begins to ache, and I've, I gotta sit down, so just in case, it's right there. However, um, I, I want you to know, um, uh, your former pastor picked this text. I already told you guys that we just prayed that they said, how much time do you need? I said, uh, more than you're going to give me. Um, I preached through the book of James several years ago, and uh, I went to the text he gave me. Um, I have four sermons on that, and I've wrapped them all up into one. And you're going to get the whole blasted thing this morning. Amen. So take your Bible and turn me to James chapter 1, and we will look at this together. Uh, James is a great book. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, I always tell new Christians who say, where do I start? I always say, start in the book of John. Because John describes Jesus in his gospel, and you need to know who, who, who it is that saved you. When you're done reading John, go to James. Because James will tell you how you ought to be living your life now that you've been saved and you've received Jesus. And then from there... Let's just go anywhere you want to go. Um, I will tell you that I believe in Bible study. I'm a firm believer that you ought to start in a book, page one, verse one, and go through the, the book. You, you folks who pick and choose what you're going to, what you're going to preach or read every day, uh, that isn't how you ought to do this. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, and the devil hates you. And Judas went and hanged himself. You know, that's bad news, folks. Matter of fact, where's Mark? Where did Mark go? Did Mark leave me? Oh, okay. Well, I was going to give him the verse. Uh, that verse he just told you about fears? Here's your verse. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. You do understand, folks, fear is a sin. 
There's a, there's a difference between being concerned and being afraid. Don't have to fear when you have the Lord Jesus Christ. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. That's not James 1, but I thought I'd give that to you. James 1, beginning with verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Now, folks, remember, don't get mad at me. I didn't pick the text. But it's a great text. And, and my understanding is that, that your pastor has picked the book of James and, and you've already had two preachers here before me and they've preached on, on the first few verses up to verse 19. So as we come back to the text today, James is bringing us basically to the third test of a true believer. If you look back at verses 2 through 12, the first test is how the believer responds to trials. The second test of a believer is his response to temptation. Now we come to the third test, and the third test is his response to the truth revealed in the Word of God. Prove yourself to be doers. You can be a hearer or a doer. That's bottom line truth. And you see one of the most reliable evidences of genuine salvation is a hunger for the word of God. Psalm 42.1, the psalmist says, as a deer pants for water, we ought to thirst for the word of God. And, and you see, as you look at the book here, James 19 through 27 focuses on two major truths relating to that evidence. First, saving faith is marked by a proper reception of the word of God. And number two, it is reflected in a proper reaction to the word of God. I receive the word, I respond to the word. I receive the word for what it is. It is the absolute word of truth. It is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And God in his love for you and I is speaking to us through his word. Love letter. The Bible basically is a love letter. Now, you don't have to like everything in the letter, but it's a love letter. Amen? Amen. And then we ought to have a right response to it. Now, our response ought to be whatever God tells us to do by his grace, we're going to get it done. Have you ever noticed you don't have to teach a baby how to drink milk? It's just natural. Folks, for you and I as, as believers in Jesus Christ, it ought to be a natural response to God's word to want to do what God tells us to do. So we see four major truths. First truth 
is an exhortation that calls for our attention. James says to us, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, quick to hear. That means we ought to learn to listen. You look at the average response of a man and his wife, and I'll tell you what you do. They get into an argument, and that one spouse is already thinking through what they're going to say when the other one shuts up. And you know why they keep fighting? Because they don't listen. You'd be amazed what you'd hear if you just listened. Folks, listen to me. You don't get up in the morning, have your Bible study, and you're done. Did you really hear the Word of God? Or did you just read your verses and get it done and check it off in your little book? I read my Bible today. No, you didn't. You can't tell me one thing you read. What'd you read? Oh, I don't know. I, when, when I was pastor at Emmanuel, I had a kid who went with me one day to seminary class. And on the way home, he started telling me what a great sermon yesterday was. Pastor, that was, that was one of the best sermons you ever preached. I said, really? Give me the outline. Uh, couldn't remember the outline. How can it be a great sermon if you don't remember what I said? Amen. 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 We ought to be quick to hear. Listen, folks, we ought to come to the Word of God wanting to hear what the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. But we ought to be slow to speak. Now, that doesn't mean speak slow and be like this and be... No. It means before you open your mouth, think about what you're going to say. Listen, folks, we get ourselves in trouble because we speak before we think. We need to think before we speak. We need to say what's on our hearts and do what we need to do. You know, Jesus says to us in in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing as the word of Christ. Jesus says to us in Matthew 11, 15, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. One of the reasons why we divorce ourselves from God is because our ears are shut. And we don't hear what he says to us. So we're slow to speak. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool, when he keeps his silence, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Even a fool. And folks, let me tell you what. I may be older than I used to be, but I've never seen so many fools in this generation as I've seen. We have walked away from God. And folks, that is a terrible mistake to make. We shouldn't be walking away from God. We ought to be drawing closer to God. I want to remind you, and and I probably don't have to, but I'm going to anyway. This country was founded, founded on the Word of God. You know why people don't like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States? Because the Bible's all over it. And we are coming up with a generation of people who are leading us, who are unbelievers, who don't believe the Bible, and don't believe what it says. I am a God-given, red, white, and blue American, and I am proud of the fact that I live in America. And we all ought to be. And I'm about ready to start using my credit card and buying anybody a one-way ticket any place they want to go in this world that they think is better than this country. 
I say to my wife all the time, I don't know why we keep telling us what a bad country this is when our borders are being broken into and everybody's trying to come to this country. Why do you do that? If it's so much better someplace else, go someplace else. Amen. But if you're going to live in America, you ought to be proud of where you are. Hear me. Controlled tongue. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Solomon says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer a sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they're doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought and bring up a matter at presence for God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, you do know there's two kinds of anger. There's human anger and heavenly anger. God's not talking about heavenly anger. Folks, people say, well, is it wrong to hate? Yes. Is it wrong to hate sin? No. We ought to hate sin. I don't have much respect for the devil. I have no problem telling him where to go, go, go live. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. But I don't want people that don't know Christ yet not to know him. And Satan tries to shut their ears and control their hearts so they can't let the gospel penetrate. Be slow to anger. Ephesians says, be angry and yet do not sin. Don't go to bed angry. Listen, married people, it'd be better for you to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning and go to bed and get up tired than to go to bed angry, get up in the morning and lie to each other and say, Honey, I'm sorry. You're not even sorry. You've dwelled on it all night long, and you're going to dwell on it all day long, and tonight when one of you gets home, you're going to start to fight all over again. Quit. Forgive. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did. When you can tell me what they did is worse than what you did to God, let me know. Do you realize that God has forgiven you of every sin you ever committed? He's already forgiven you before you ever sin now. And he still loves you and is going to take you to heaven for eternity. Don't harbor sin in your heart. Don't be angry in your heart. You know the problem, you know the problem we have sometimes? We get mad for all the wrong reasons. Some of you are already getting mad at me because you don't like what I'm preaching. Hey, I didn't pick the text. Get over it. But if you're already getting mad at me for preaching this text, then listen to the Holy Spirit because he's trying to say something to you. You've got a problem. Folks, we ought to come to church and hunger for the word of God and not predispose what the preacher's going to preach. Don't get mad at your preacher. Don't get mad at your deacons. Don't get mad at the music man. Don't get mad at the band. Listen, you ought to come ready to worship God. Ready to love God. Get mad at sin. Get mad at where this country is going right now. Get mad at hatred. We're angry at all the wrong things. And folks, we need to be angry at the right things. Do you realize that the United States has become one of the most sinful nations in the world? Do you realize, folks, that our, our exportation of pornographic films and literature have done more to destroy the morality of the rest of the world than any nation on the planet? 
and you get mad at each other in the church. Listen, folks, you're family. You ought to love the family. You ought to hate the sin that's around us. Amen? And folks, right now, hear me. Don't get mad at me. But I've read the whole book. I've read the last chapter. Ha <laughs> ha! We win. So don't get down and, and say, I don't know what we're going to do. I know where we're going to go. Amen. And, and folks, as, as I've said to my people out, at, out in Highland, I, I don't know if you've read the Revelation or not, but folks, Revelation's popping. There are a lot of things going on right now that you didn't understand. Well, reread, reread the book. Because there's more going on that you're going to understand because all of a sudden it's going to make more sense to you. Daniel, I mean... I, I go through the Bible every year. I, I just finished Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. I got more out of those three books this year than I've ever got. Why? Because there's more going on that makes more sense. And you see, every time you read the Word of God, you say, well, I read the Bible once. Really? Does that, that's your trump card? You read the Bible once? I read the Bible every year. And folks, I'm still growing every year. God shows me something new every time I read the book. This last year, this last year I was, I was reading, and I said to the Lord, Lord, because see, I was raised to believe that a Jewish generation is 40 to 60 years. And, and folks, if you read Matthew 24, Jesus says, all these things are going to take place in this generation. Well, this is taking place, this is taking place, this is taking place, and it's been past 60 years. I said, Lord, I know you're not wrong, so I must be. Lord, help me. <laughs> I don't understand. And this year, first time. Now, folks, I can't tell you how many times I've read the book of Genesis. But there, there are times that God sticks his hand through the book and slaps my face and says, are you paying attention? And I was reading Genesis 15. Read it, read it, read it, read it. And I got the part where it says, after 400 years, I'm going to take your people out of this particular nation. Do you know that two verses later it says, and in the fourth generation. First time I've ever seen that. Now, folks, I don't know how good your math is, but if you divide four into 400, what does that come into? 100 years. So Israel was refounded and reclaimed and restarted and re, re became a nation again in 1948. So all of these things will take place in one generation. So what's the, what's the, what's the go-to date? 2048. It's 2022. And in between that, we got a few more things to go, and plus a seven-year tribulation, and it doesn't say it has to go to 48. I'm telling you, folks, Revelation's popping. Are you ready to meet your Savior? Or are you saying, well, Lord, what am I going to do today? Get up. Get going. Put a smile on your face. You know that smiling today in this generation causes people to be alarmed? <laughs> they can't believe people can be happy. But you can be. You can be. As Christians, we need to be faithful. 
We have the character of Christ. So James says, number two, we need a passion that calls for rejection. We're to lay aside all filthiness and all wickedness. Pulling weeds. You know, if you read the passage, it's almost like saying to us, let me, let me read it to you one more time. James says to us, therefore sign all filthiness and wickedness, receive in humility the word which is able to save your souls. The word that is implanted. You know, you know, folks, wickedness and filthiness keep the word from being implanted into your heart. Did you know that? But you see, what that really means is, if, you, if you're a California resident, most of you know what Bermuda glass is, don't you? You know what it's like trying to get Bermuda grass out of your lawn? It's a constant process. But you see, there has to be breeding before there's seeding. And before either one of those take place, there has to be weeding. Get rid of your filthiness and your wickedness. That God can implant the word in your heart. Now, the word implant means he's going to take that word like a seed and put it in your system. And then that seed is going to grow. And then if the seed is growing inside you, guess what else is growing inside you? Grace. You're saved by grace. We're called to live by grace. Grace, spelled as G-R-A-C-E, defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. How much did it cost you? Nothing. Jesus paid the price, the entire price. He went to a cross not because he were guilty, but because we were guilty. Amen. He bled. He died. He rose from the dead in the third day. And he's coming back. And you and I who know him are going to be with him. Why? Because by faith, we agreed with God that we were a sinner. We knew we needed a Savior. We knew the only Savior that could save us was Jesus. And we received him into our heart. You say, well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. He's still going to rot in hell. Listen, folks, you don't believe in God with your head. You receive Christ in your heart. You do understand what I say to you, folks. Now hear me. Christianity, true Christianity, is not a religion. We let the world put us in a category of... We're not a religion. True Christianity is a relationship between the believer and the creator. Between the sinner who's been saved by grace and the Savior. The world worships gods of rock and trees and iron and things that God created. We worship the creator, the heavenly father. Listen, do you understand when I say to you, do you know what the most difficult verse of scripture is? Now don't say, well, predestination, nope. Well, for a nation, nope. The most difficult scripture that you have is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. You buy that scripture, you don't have any problem with the rest of it. Listen, if you buy that scripture, evolution's a farce. If you buy that scripture, most of what science is telling you today is a farce. Listen, I'm for science, but I think you ought to use science as it's meant to be, not what you want it to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't believe in God. That's your problem. Doesn't mean he doesn't exist. But if you don't believe that there is a real God, then you're one of those people that's going to tell me that you don't believe there's a real hell. And I'm here to tell you, folks, listen to me. There's only two places you're going to go when you die. One's heaven, one's hell. And there's nothing in between. And the only way you're getting into God's heaven is God's way. And Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, did he not say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Going to church isn't going to get you to heaven. Wishing you could be saved isn't going to get you to heaven. The only one who gets you into heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you to get the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you're going to have to believe that he is. Admit to him that you're a sinner and you need a savior. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and come in to your life. I told you guys this morning at our church in Highland, we do fireworks for the city. We, we, light, it up the, we light up the place. And Tuesday night, we had 16 people saved. Not, not, not the best part. The best part was one of them was a deputy sheriff who was on duty guarding us. While he was guarding us, he was being saved. Yay! And that's good. Amen? You just never know what God's up to. But folks, let me tell you what. Even lost people today know there's something wrong. Where are the Christians with their mouths open telling people we have the answer? And it isn't going to church. Listen, if they get saved truly, they're going to want to be in church with God's family. You're getting me off this sermon. Quit. But you see, hear me say this to you. By nature, we plunge into Bible study and worship. But we come to worship and go to Bible study with cluttered lives. Here's what we say. We say, God, I got, I got 10 minutes. Speak to me quick. Who do you think you are telling a holy, righteous God you got 10 minutes and he's got to hurry up and tell you something? You think God's going to tell you anything? You'd be a lot better off going to the Lord and say, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And open up your ears, which is the road to your heart, and listen and let the Spirit of God speak to you. And if he speaks to you, he will change you for eternity. There's the amen right there. Amen. amen. Listen, God has more to say than you want to hear. Why doesn't God tell me anything new? Listen, you, you, won't, you won't even listen to the word in the book. If you won't read the Bible and you won't believe the Bible and you won't live the Bible, why should God give you any more? 
Well, I don't know. I'm, I've, I've, I've read two or three books in the Bible. They're boring. You're boring. <laughs> Bible's not boring. Bible's an exciting book. It's the inerrant word of God. So without a cautious ear and a controlled tongue and a calm temper and a clean heart, you can't receive. Which brings us to point number three. We need to receive. Reception calls for humiliation. The spirit of the receiver, we receive in what? Humility. Not arrogance. Not pride. I don't go to the Lord to see if there's anything he can teach me. I go to the Lord knowing that there's much he can teach me if I've got the spirit to receive it and hear it and live it and do it. The spirit of the receiver is we receive God's word. We welcome God's word. A gentle attitude expresses itself in submission. We many, we not call to resist the word of God, but receive the word of God. And he'll take it and implant it. The implanted word does not refer to implanting at birth, no, but to a seed planted at a later time, we grow. So repentance prepares the soil of our heart. Reception welcomes the implanted word, and the word of God roots itself more deeply in us. The new life then develops in us, and the old life dies. Romans 6 says you got a new life. And the new life is who? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The growing Christian must continue to receive the seed of the word of God. James seems to teach us that when we receive any seed of God's word and makes part of our life, that truth continues to grow within us. But James reminds us that there must be, number four, a resolve to the word of God. What does he say? Verse 22. Now listen, folks. Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For anyone hears the word of God is not a doer. He's like a man who looks at the natural face in a mirror and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. There's a glancer. There's a gazer. I can glance in the mirror and see what I thought I looked like or I can gaze and stay there and get it all fixed up. My precious little wife has a mirror that will take my face and magnify it five times more than it is. You'd be amazed what you can see in that mirror that you can't see in a normal mirror. Amen? I can see where I miss shaving right here, and I can see where there's a white hair right here. I can see all kinds of things. Folks, that's what James is talking about. Don't be a glancer. Don't just hear the word of God, say, that was a great sermon. No. Hear the word of God and leave committed to do the word of God as he has told your heart. Did not Jesus say to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He hears it, he acts on it. Don't be a, just a receiver. Be a doer of the word. 
Do the word of God. Live the word of God. Speak the word of God. How do you do that? You memorize the word of God. Where you're sitting back there when I answered your question, you're giving you a verse. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. That's your verse. Memorize it. John 3, 16. Folks, that's the Baptist, that's the Baptist creed. You ought to know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. I mean, there it is. Rock solid. Well, I think Jesus came to be a good teacher, and he was, but he didn't come. That wasn't the reason he came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's that? All of us. Well, I'm not that bad compared to who? Listen, you want to know how bad you are? Compare yourself to a holy, righteous God. How you stand up now, buddy? Well, I'm not too good. And that's why you need to get saved. And that holy, righteous God came in the person of Jesus Christ, went to a cross, was nailed to the cross, took the beating you deserved, and died for you. That if you'll humble yourself and confess you're a sinner and agree with God you're wrong and ask him to save you, today you can be born again and enter into the kingdom of heaven and know it right here. Or I go to church. Do you know there's going to be a lot of church people in hell? I'm going to say it to you one more time, folks. Religion doesn't save you. That's the devil's lie. The devil does everything he can to counterfeit truth. What's truth? Thy word is truth. Did you get it out of here? No, then you didn't get it. There are a lot of churches who say a lot of things, and most of them are wrong. You put on arrogance, you put on a safad, you put on the clothing, but it doesn't change your heart. And if your heart doesn't change, you're still a hard-hearted person, and the Word of God bounces off your heart, and you're not saved. What you want to do is be saved and grow and grow and grow. Well, when you're done growing, when he comes and gets you. Listen, folks. There's some people who study the Bible devotionally. Others study it doctrinally. Some study it antithetically. Some study it synthetically. Others study it homiletically. All those have a place. Good. But folks, James overrides all that and says, prove yourself to be a doer of the word. Bible study is not an end to itself. It is a means to an end. And the Bible calls for a response. We must do what it says. Why? Because it's the word of God. You can either be a doer or be deceived. You can either hear the word of God or harden your heart to the word of God. That's your choice. I'm pleading with you. Do it God's way. That's the right way. That's the only way. James says, be a doer of the word of God. Let me give you an illustration, and I'm out of time, so we're close. Do you remember all the way back in 1 Samuel 17? 
the nation of Israel went to, to, to the Valley of Elah, and the Philistines came up from their land, and the Philistines had a giant by the name of Goliath, and there wasn't one Israelite who would go take him on. Goliath kept saying, send out one of your people to me, and we'll fight, and the man who wins the other army will serve that king. And curse the God of Israel. David showed up and said, why don't one of you guys go down and fight that guy? And his brother said, shut up, David. And Goliath came out again, cursed the God of Israel. And, and David said, why don't one of you go out and fight that guy? brother said, you're so smart, why don't you go fight him? Well, I believe I will. And he found five stones, and he had a slingshot, and he was going to go out there, and Saul stopped and said, no, 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 no. Where are you going without the army? So he put the armor on him and gave him a sword, and it's too heavy for David. David said, I can't wear this stuff. Just let me take my five rocks and my slingshot. How are you going to beat him? He said, listen, king, I'm a shepherd. The lion came to get the sheep, and God gave me the lion. Bear came to get the sheep, and God gave me the bear. God gave me a lion, God gave me a bear. God gave me that pervert who's cussing him out. What's Saul going to say to him? Okay, son, go. And all Israel shook in fear. And you remember? You remember? He went down there, and he looked at Goliath, and Goliath looked at him and laughed. And then the Bible says he cursed him out. Basically what he said, when I get done with you, sonny boy, I'm going to take your legs out from where your legs are, put them where your arms go, and put your arms where your legs go. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you a mess. And David looked at him and said, Are you, son, are you done? Because when I get done with you, the whole world's going to know there's a God in heaven. And he took that little stone and that slingshot, and he swung it, and boom, pow, right between the eyes, and the giant fell dead. He said, but he had five stones. Yeah, but Goliath had four brothers. So David was ready for what was going to come. Killed him. Cut off his head, lifted his stone. David became king. And they made a song, David kills his 10,000, Saul kills his thousands, and that made Saul mad. So Saul tried to kill David. Now, that's a long story to get to what I want to say. Do you remember who the one guy was in that whole army who came and bowed the knee to David? Who was it? Somebody said it. It was Jonathan, Saul's son. Gave him his sword, gave him his shield, gave him his thing, said Anything you need me to do, I will do for you. Now, that was a good thing to do. And I believe that Jonathan, in his heart, meant every word of it. The sad fact was, though, when Saul came out to kill David, Jonathan complained, but he didn't do anything about it. When David ran, Jonathan didn't run with him. When David hid in the cave, Jonathan wasn't with him. Jonathan was no more found, and Jonathan ended up dying with his dad up in northern Galilee, right or wrong. But if you're going to give a guy your sword, your spear, and say, I'm yours, then you really ought to be, don't you think? Now, before you start getting judgmental, I just gave that illustration to say this to you. Folks, what good is it to you to sit here today and hear this sermon and know what I've just told you? 
walk out those doors and say that a great sermon and tomorrow go back into your old self and do nothing about it. Be ye a doer of the word. If you know I'm right, then folks, you need to make a decision in your heart right now that I'm going to quit being a hearer and start being a doer. Before you open that Bible in the morning, make sure you give yourself enough time to stay there in case God has a message for you. And study the book. Read the book. If you get up and you got 10 minutes to get to work, then go to work. Find time where you can have a quiet time and let God speak to your heart with the understanding that God is saying this to you for a reason and it's not to just build your education up. It's to change your life and make you more like Christ. Amen? That's what James is trying to say to you. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Amen.